0: It's Thursday, January 30th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill joining me in studio today from Fool.com, Matt Kopenheffer, and from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hansen. Happy Thursday. Matt so has notes. They're... I'm intimidated. That's <laughs>
1: actually
2: that's actually for my next show. For the most part, I'm gonna, ah, steal okay. some, I'm gonna steal some of them for this show.
0: Got it. Matt is our lead financial and and banking uh, services that's analyst on fool.com, I don't know about that. But really, what he is 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 just a uh, he just goes from one program to the other. We're lucky to get him on Market Foolery because he's, he's in
1: de- that in demand.
0: He's that in demand. He's doing. I'm we're... a foil for David Hansen Is what I am. <laughs> I'm a foil for David Hanson. Aren't we all really? <laughs> in that's... some, on some, we're all level. just living in his world. <laughs> um. Earnings Palooza rolls on. We've got Visa. We've got Under Armour. We've got Carbo Ceramics. But let's start with Facebook. Shares up more than 15% this morning and hitting an all-time high after st- some strong fourth quarter results. And once again, Tim, the the turnaround in mobile ad revenue for Facebook, If uh, for whatever you think of Zuckerberg, for whatever you think of the company and its prospects, the turnaround they've had in mobile ad revenue is pretty staggering when, when you consider it's now, I think for the fiscal year, it was 53%, or maybe it was just this quarter, it was 53%. It's now a majority of their ad revenue.
1: Yeah, they've solved the uh, the monetization puzzle, um, which is in a, in a very impressive way. I mean, their revenue per user, I think, was up over eight, $8, which is, you know, to put that in perspective, I think a year ago, they were up below 4 So I that's just remarkably good. Um, the market obviously rewarding them for that. You know, if you're a Facebook investor, I think the only thing to be worried about is that is that user growth is, is slowing um, on the monthly active user front. And, and you know, some people are worried about Facebook not being as cool as it used to be and, and not attracting the kids to it. But, um, yeah, just, I mean, kudos to them. Incredible progress on something that they, they set out to do, and they did it.
0: Their market cap, if I have this right, and I think I do, their market cap is now bigger than Citigroup. That, as, well, they're not as stupid as Citigroup. <laughs> <laughs> they
2: haven't started buying CDOs quite yet. That comes later. Is that next for them? First the platform, <laughs> then the CDOs. Then the, then the credit
1: default swaps. Inscrutable financials. Yeah,
0: yeah. They do have, speaking of financials, they do have more than $11 billion in cash on the balance sheet. And I'm wondering at what point they start deploying that. Obviously, it's not – It's I don't expect them to go the route of Google and start snapping up robotics companies. But at the same time, I think that would be one of my big questions for them is here we are just wrapping up the first month of 2014. Do, do we think that making some big acquisition at some point this year makes sense for them? No? No.
2: no. I, well, I, I think my question would be whether they – use that cash, or they go the route of, of Google and Apple from the perspective of just stockpiling this massive warehouse of cash. Um, I, I don't know. I, generally speaking, I'm against big acquisitions. Uh, they tend to turn out poorly. Um, and if, if a company is, is reaching for an acquisition like that, there's probably something wrong with the core business that, that they're trying to do that. Um, I don't like the idea of cash sitting around earning nothing. But for a for a technology business like this, where the, the the environment is constantly changing, it is nice to have some cash around to to invest in the business, to be able to invest in uh, different opportunities that they see as as things change.
1: I'll actually take, I'll take the other side of that and say I think you know they should probably be looking hard at at platforms maybe like a Snapchat. Or, um, they tried to though right no I know and obviously and I, I don't think that's a bad thing for them to be thinking about because you know what is their you know with you look at these results what is their core competency now and it appears you know if you double your revenue per user in a year that's really impressive on, on, on the one hand on the other hand it shows that you you have a really strong ability to, to look at your analytics look at your data and then figure out a way to monetize a platform that people thought previously was almost unmonetizable you know and and think about how many you know burgeoning platforms like pinterest, snapchat are out there that need somebody to come in and show them how to monetize, to how to make money off of it, right? So if facebook's problem is being cool and attracting new users, i think an acquisition of something that's really good at attracting users coupled with their competency at um monetizing it could actually be be win-win for both sides.
0: Last question on facebook, do you think I'll Take you th- that, Matt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you th- think that <laughs> facebook is easier To evaluate as a stock, there are certainly very early in its life as a public company, there were countless analysts saying, I just don't get it. From a valuation standpoint, this doesn't make any sense. Do you think it's easier to value? Or if it's not easier to value, have they at least demonstrated with their ability to make mobile ad revenue work for them and grow for them, have they at least gotten over the hurdle? from a perception standpoint, so that maybe analysts are looking at them and saying, okay, you know what, I still don't completely get it from a valuation standpoint. I, it still doesn't make sense to me that you're bigger than Citigroup. But at the same time, I'm going to cut you some slack because you've demonstrated a serious ability to make money.
2: Well, there's a bigger problem for analysts trying to, to evaluate it because most Wall Street analysts are just looking a year out. You might as well flip a coin if you're trying to figure out what a stock is going to do on a on a one-year basis. i I think from a from a valuation standpoint, yeah, this is it's a difficult business to value. Uh, I, I think fast growth technology businesses like this in general are hard to value. Um, but you got to think about the the opportunity that it's got in this platform that it's built. Like like Tim just said, as he was pointing out, how wrong I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to
0: sit between you two guys? <laughs> I wish my wife
2: was this respectful of my opinion. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, trying to use um, sort of traditional valuation techniques uh, t- t- to try to compare this to a Procter & Gamble or something like that, you- you're just going to tear your hair out doing that.
0: All right. Let's go to a company that should be a little easier to figure out from a valuation standpoint, and that's Visa, uh, up about 2% this morning after first quarter results – that just look really strong across the board, Matt. They beat on the top line. They beat on the bottom line. They reiterated their guidance for the full year. Is there any bad news here? Well, I question a little
2: bit the pace at which Visa is buying back its its own shares. Um, it's, I don't think the valuation is crazy, but the valuation is not cheap either. Um, I actually didn't bother to write down the valuation multiple here, but with uh, 14% year-over-year uh, earnings per share growth, I don't think that makes the valuation look so cheap that Visa should definitely be buying back its shares. Um, Maybe there's better uses of capital, but it's sort of nitpicking when you have a a business that's doing as well as Visa is.
1: This is sort of a weird thing that I'm going to point out, but I think Matt will find it cool. And when Visa went public, they issued um, class, I think class B shares to a bunch of sort of member network banks who happen to tend to be in the country very small banks, right? This the, this share class is currently, generally speaking, on all these balance sheets is being carried at zero value because the um, the value of the shares is is being determined via some litigation, and so everyone has basically written it down to zero. But there's a there's a I've, I've learned this um, there is a sort of illiquid market for the B shares where the banks are selling them to each other, and I think Bank of America is actually brokering the, the B share sales
0: and taking a little cut for themselves. Probably.
1: Well, I, or they might actually be. Securitizing, acquiring a lot of them, right? Yep. <clears throat> because it turns out you can sell them for for you know, I think I think it was like 80 dollars pop. Um, which when you when you've got you know a couple hundred thousand of them on your right. balance sheet as a tiny bank, it's like, hey, pretty soon you're talking about four million dollars. <laughs> pretty um, soon it's real money. So it's kind of, that's kind of a, if, if if you're interested in tiny banks, give them a call. Ask if they own any Visa Class B <laughs> shares. That's my insider tip of the and day. And then Tell them sell them.
2: And <laughs> and <then I> <laughs> Wait till I buy your stock now sell them.
0: MasterCard has not reported yet, have they? No, they have not. So, Um, but do... You expect their results to be roughly the same because it seems like these two move basically in concert with one another.
2: Similar, yeah, if not a little bit better. Uh, I believe Visa was talking about the this the spending growth, the card spending growth is a little bit slower in the U.S. versus versus overseas, and as a split between uh, business segments, Mastercard is more exposed to overseas, which I think long, longer term is is really good thing for Mastercard. Um, so maybe a little bit better.
0: Carbo Ceramics up big this morning after strong fourth quarter results. Uh, Tim, this is uh, one not only you watch closely. You you've talked about this one before. I, you,
1: I keep making you mention it. Just like so you know what to take victory lap. You know
0: what take a victory lap. <laughs> this
1: is you know Chris. Uh, can we talk about Carbo Ceramics again? On the I can't. I can't think of
2: a
0: better, a uh, more exciting <laughs> stock to talk about. <laughs> Honey, come quick. They're talking about oil and gas equipment and services companies. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, they uh, beat expectations. This is a company that makes um, ceramic proppant, which are little pebbles you drop into uh, wells to make them more conductive to get oil and gas back up to the surface uh, in a more efficient way. Um, obviously, doing well with the fracking and whatnot. Boom, they've got new products. They beat expectations. They got to do a strong year next year. I think, you know, a common trait of the stocks we've been talking about today. Is I think, you know, like last year I think during earnings season you'd be like, "Ah, top line was a little weak, but cost savings everybody beat on the bottom line." This year it's like so far at least it's been yeah, beat on the top line. You know, from a from a big picture perspective of, "Hey, things are going well in the economy." That's that's as good an indicator as any.
0: How big is this company from a market cap standpoint? I'm wondering if this is because when they obviously do something very specialized, and I'm wondering if this is a company that is small enough and attractive enough that some other big player in the industry with the cash to spend goes out and says, Yeah, we'll oh, yeah, to it'd you. Oh, yeah,
1: it'd be an easy thing to pick up because it's in, it's in a niche, right? And if you want to supply, you know, if you're one of these companies that wants to just supply a total solution, um, picking up their profit business wouldn't be the dumbest thing you could do in the world. Uh, you know, having said that, Carbo Ceramics at the same time is trying to build out their own sort of total solutions because if they can get into a project with their prop, in, it's like, oh, we can also do this, this, and this for you. Um, but I mean, they've got a best-in-class product, and it's always fun. You know, companies like that, generally speaking, whether it's in retail or energy services, if you've got the best-in-class product, you know, time is on your side. Is there a, lot-
2: a huge amount of these used in uh, putting down a well.
1: I mean, is well, yeah. I mean, just volume? think about the math. Like, you've got a little ball that's, I don't know. Maybe you know a half a centimeter, a centimeter. You know, and then you've got a well that goes down so, so hundreds and hundreds of, of feet. And the, you know, the new product is for um, the very deep water. So it's like the you know they're going to do I think like two thousand um, pounds next year. Or so
2: I think we were talking on this show about the the railroads a little bit mm-hmm. and the the, the decline mm-hmm. the decline in the the amount that they're making off of coal is it and. and they're making up a little bit of money by shipping things. It sounds like maybe like this.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a you know, the shipping rates for this company had actually proved to be a little bit of a, a a problem when oil prices or and gas prices were down because it's like oh, we got to pay arm and a leg to get this heavy stuff busted or trained into us, uh-huh. um, and so you know they tried to build new manufacturing facilities closer to the end user, right? Because then you can cut down on transportation costs. But yeah.
0: The last thing on Carboceramics, they also announced a quarterly dividend. I am curious if when we look at technology companies, particularly the bigger they get, they announce a dividend. That is widely seen as, well, you know, that's it. That is the official end of this company as a growth company. Now that, you know, Apple is paying a dividend now that Microsoft is paying a dividend whenever they started a decade or so ago. Is, is that confined to the technology industry, or does that perception exist regardless of industry? So, is an energy company that announces, we're, we're going to start paying a quarterly dividend, is it automatically seen as, well, that's it for the go-go days for this stock?
1: I, th- I think the academic literature suggests that small companies that pay a dividend early in their life cycles tend to be more efficient capital allocators over time. And just because you've got you've, you've put discipline on top of your organization, which is to say we're going to take some of our capital and reward shareholders regularly, which means that with the remaining amount of our capital, we need to invest it really intelligently to get the best bang for our buck. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I think there's a perception that if you're paying a dividend, you don't have enough growth Projects to invest in, but I think that perception is is wrong. Frankly, I mean, you know, I I like smaller companies that pay dividends because I think it makes them more disciplined, and you get fewer sort of, you know, sunshine projects. Uh,
0: Before we get to our final story, I want to say thanks to Mark Johnson from Toyota. The Washington Auto Show is going on, and uh, he came by yesterday with one of his colleagues um, with Toyota's new hydrogen uh, prototype vehicles, and uh, our man Rex Moore. Went out for a spin. He's putting together a couple of videos for Fool.com. So, uh, um, so thank you to Mark for doing that uh, and for the swag. Brought a little bit of swag. So that's, uh, that's free all. hydrogen. Uh, not free hydrogen. <laughs> <laughs> not free hydrogen. No, no. A coffee mug on wheels, though. that's Ooh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. It that's is handy. pretty cool. It's very fun until I put it in our coffee maker and uh, hit the button, <laughs> and then it started to roll out. So you know, you got to be you got to be on top of that sort of thing. Um, you can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. A lot of emails in response to our discussion earlier in the week. Um, Morgan Housel mentioning desalina- uh, desalination uh, from Kayo who writes, in response to your discussion about stocks in the desalination market, one I've been bullish on for quite a while is Energy Recovery, Inc., Uh, Their product specifically addresses the problem you guys discussed, the high energy cost of desalination. Um, Darren Bagnell from California writes, check out Consolidated Water Company, ticker symbol CWCO. From Neta Zmora in Israel, just wanted to drop you a note that in Israel, desalination is alive and kicking, so much so that more water is desalinated than required. Israel definitely seems to be on the forefront of desalination. I'm saying this as a subjective Israeli. You know what? As, as Joe Maker would say, you've got to talk your own book. So I, No begrudging that. Uh, and finally, from Mike Vol, uh, Volberding in California. Hyflux, uh, a company in Singapore, is the only publicly traded pure play desalination company I know of. The ticker symbol is HYFSP. They built and operate Singapore's to a spring desalinization plant. They also have had projects in the Middle East and India. You need to talk to David Quo at Motley Fool Singapore. This is a company you know about, right, Tim? I
1: have looked at them in the past, yes. The accounting gets pretty complicated because I believe, um, this is probably stale information, but what, what would happen, they have like this build, operate, transfer model. So basically, they, they finance the project over time and then or they finance the project at the beginning so there's a lot of capital outlay and then over time they gradually get paid back and then the state takes over ownership but they continue to operate it so there's weird financial risks in a rising potentially rising interest rate environment but I've looked at Consolidated Water Company too I forgot about that one they've got some plant somewhere in the Caribbean I think
0: uh, final email from uh, on a different topic from Arid, who uh, identifies himself as listener number nine hundred ninety nine. I'm a big. We fan. don't have that many. <laughs> you know, but but that's w- crazy but, talk. But we like that people will <laughs> assign themselves a number. So that's you know by all means assign yourself a number. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Motley Fool and get many of my investment planning ideas by listening to your podcast and reading articles on the Motley Fool iPhone app. I wanted to ask you if you guys are planning on having an app for the iPad as well. The short answer is I don't know. I believe I've heard rumbling somewhere in the building that we're working on that. But uh, So just stay tuned. Uh, if, we, if we get one, we will absolutely hype it, hype it on hype this it. podcast <laughs> and elsewhere. Uh, final story, Under Armour shares up 23% this morning. Fourth quarter profit rose 35%. A lot of companies having bad holiday quarters. Under Armour, definitely not one of them and i 'm just wondering if this is Tim this is a stock that uh, Bill Mann has written about you guys have talked about at motley Fool funds. Uh, I think it was the company that uh, one of the companies that Bill Mann identified when he talked about the awesomeness scale that you know he 's a value guy and he likes to look at the value of a company. but there are some companies that score high on the awesomeness continuum um, uh, is this Is this a company that's getting a little ahead of itself in terms of the stock? Or do you think, because most, if not all of their operations are just in North America, that they're really just getting started?
1: So, I would suspect that a lot of today's appreciation in stock price are people who were short Under Armour getting the hell out of the way of the stock going up and covering <laughs> yep. their short, right? And that, and that, obviously, they have to force in the market buy back shares, and that sends the price up. But, you know, is... Because Under Armour, when you comp it out against like a retail apparel peer group, it's horribly, horribly expensive, right? And I know you know this isn't one that I cover um, ex- um, very carefully, but I know the way Bill thinks about it is: look, you can get fancy and say, ah, oh, they're going to do X number of sales. They got working capital inventory. Let's take a discounted return of their you know structural free cash flow, and here's the here's the number, and wow, it looks really expensive. Or I, what he said is just like, look, Nike is this big. Under is right now this big. It's a fraction. At some point, I think Under Armour can be half the size of Nike. And if they get there, then, you know, if they, if it takes them five years to get there, my return is X. If it takes them 10 years, 15, 20. And, if, you know, if you get out to 20 years and they're half the size of Nike and you're looking at a 6% annual return, call that market matching, right? And you say, well, they've demonstrated the ability to probably do it maybe faster. Then, So, like, yeah, I think, I think we'll beat the market with this. And you don't have to get too fancy about – you know, managing the quarter-to-quarter um, metrics that can go into analyzing a retail stock like Under Armour, and and just keep it simple and say, I'm really I, I trust management, like the product, like the brand, big opportunity. I think they can compete with Nike, and there are not very many companies that can compete with Nike. Right. But if you find one, hang on. It's nice to hear that that a, that Bill Mann is is
2: thinking about this similar to, to how I am. This is actually a stock that I own, and and that's essentially the congratulations. I am having a good day. I am having a good day. Bill Bill Man is an incredibly sharp, almost as sharp as Tim. Um, but thank uh, you, Matt. <laughs>
1: I feel so good.
2: <laughs> you should do this more often. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, when when you look at Under Armour and, and you look at the position that it's been able to grab in that marketplace, this is it's it's not just another brand out there. Uh, this is a brand that's able to, to to compete on a level playing field with Nike, with Adidas. Um, I, I was about to say Asics, but not really. Under Armour is, is past Asics as far as that goes in terms of uh, performance athletic wear. So I think that is a I think that's a really good way to think about the
0: opportunity ahead for the company. Do you guys? You're both. Uh very athletic. You do a lot of running. And my ego is just running wild. <laughs> <with that. laughs> we're, we're, we're we're just trying to prepare you for when eventually you go home. <laughs> then, just, then. just wait until wait until the recording stops. <laughs> um, but is under Armour, just from a consumer standpoint, is Under Armour a brand that you guys seek out? Does it, is it something that's important to you, or is it does it fall into the category of no, there's plenty of good athletic wear out there, and if I'm at Sports Authority or somewhere else, I'm going to look at price, and I'm going to maybe pay a little bit more for Under Armour, but not a whole lot more. I'm just curious from a consumer standpoint.
2: Not, notwithstanding what I just said, I, I don't buy Under Armour gear. Most well, I, I'll buy. I buy their cold weather gear, so they're the actual Under Armour stuff. I actually have. Uh, some of that back at my desk today for a run I'm going to do. But for for shoes, they're not really uh, as, as much of a distance running company, so I stick pretty much to Adidas.
0: And you, given the number of races that you enter, both of you guys, you probably have more than enough technical t-shirts to. You don't need to actually. I'm spend at a money. point
1: in my athletic career where I, I try to limit <laughs> limit expenditure on it. For yeah. example, like when it comes to basketball shoes, for example, like it, you, you know when I was in high school, it was like got to get I need the lightest possible shoes with the most ankle support. Yep. You know. I don't care what it costs. You know, now it's like, all right, what's thirty nine ninety nine? What can I find <laughs> at the Nike outlet that isn't going to kill me? That I can that I can that I can wear. Um, but I will say, I do pay up. The Under Armour compression shorts are the best compression shorts I have I have found. And and um, actually, that stuff I've gotten, I have bought into the compression gospel in terms of like recovery time and whatnot. And, like, when I run in compression shorts, I, I, I save them for races because I just feel like it doesn't hurt as much when you're when you're, you're on awesome. mile, like, 12.
0: Before we get to the Super Bowl, and we will in just a moment, <laughs> uh, to hear more from Matt Koppenheffer and his partner in crime, David Hansen, uh, check out the Where the Money Is podcast. You can watch the videos on our YouTube channel on Roku, but, but definitely uh, just – iTunes, Stitcher, any number of platforms, you can get where the money is. Five days. The burgeoning sensation, where the money is. Exactly. I saw the statistics for that yes. last month. Bur- five, five days a week. We're
1: going to have more viewers than CNBC soon. Yeah. That's not saying much. <laughs>
0: uh, unlike this podcast. We've, we've already
2: passed CNN.
1: Oh, there you go.
0: <laughs> unlike this podcast, Copenhagen uh, and David Hansen actually going five days a week. Um, and again, to read more from Tim Hansen and Bill Mann and the guys at Motley Fool Funds, go to com. sign up for declarations. It's the free monthly newsletter, a lot of great information, really uh, thought-provoking stuff that they're writing. So go sign up for declarations. The Super Bowl is this weekend. I want one prediction from each of you. It has to. It doesn't even have to be about who's going to win. Anything related to the game. Anything related to the many exotic prop bets. Who's going to win the coin flip, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Tim Hansen, one prediction for Super Bowl.
1: Uh, Seahawks cornerback Richard Sherman has turned into a bit of a polarizing figure. He has. I like his intensity. I I, I identify with it in some ways. Back <laughs> from my athletic, my own athletic days, um, was not always the best liked member of my team. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, but I I I think he's immensely talented. I think he lives up to the to the hype in the Super Bowl because, obviously, the Broncos are going to try to throw the ball around. I think Peyton Manning probably challenges him. He's going to get the opportunity to make a play. I think he probably does it.
0: It's not often that the most valuable player in the Super Bowl is a defensive player. Do you think Sherman or someone? If if the Seahawks win, do you think it could be it could be one of those? If the situations? Seahawks
1: win, it will be because the defense forced turnovers. Because I think their offense is a little is, is a little outmatched. Um, but yeah, if they can force a couple turnovers, I mean, you know, when the Chargers beat the Broncos during the regular season this year, it was because their defense forced some turnovers, frustrated you know frustrated Manning, and, and they held on to the ball. I mean, that's the recipe to beat Denver. Because if you let them have too many possessions, I mean, yeah, good luck covering. What do they have? They have like four all world receivers yeah. <laughs> plus the world's best quarterback. I mean, that's a pretty devastating combination. Matt,
0: one prediction for w- Super Bowl Sunday?
2: After that great breakdown, my, my prediction is just that I'm going to get all fired up for it. I'm going to get my pizza and my soda. <laughs> I'm going to get all set up. And then halfway through the first quarter, I'm going to get bored and I'm going to spend the next three and a half quarters reading Twitter. <laughs> just reading that's, Twitter? May, maybe, uh, maybe I'll go to Facebook as well. Um, I have a couple books on Kindle. Maybe I'll go yeah. read those. <laughs> What's impressive, you but, know, he's,
1: he's ahead of me, though, in terms of life cycle, because my goal, having a three-year-old and a one-year-old, is just to make it up through halftime. Just. Like, if I can make it into the third quarter and, like, stay awake, I'll be, I'm like, I think I might be able to finish the game. But he'll be happily browsing Twitter
0: <laughs> at 10 p.m. Tim Hanson, Open Ever guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.